This week on the Defense Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, the Defense Department's hardest transition isn't technology and building an IT enterprise in the office of the Secretary of Defense. It's Wednesday, November 9th, 2022. Welcome to the Defense Scoop podcast. Every week you'll learn what's going on in defense technology. I'm the host of the Defense Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The Defense Innovation Unit will add four companies to its roster of vendors supporting the internet in space. And research and development teams in the Pentagon will have a new resource to share information. Brandy Vincent's a reporter at Defense Scoop. Brandy, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. These four companies that are added to DIU's roster in space, what kind of work will they be doing and what is the hybrid space architecture program? Welcome. Thank you so much, Francis. Um, according to many high ups in the Pentagon, it is time to bring the internet to space. What DIU is doing is actually expanding um, a program that uh, was previously started um, through this hybrid space architecture program to phase two. They brought on um, Spider Mission Systems, Amazon Web Services, Amazon's Project Kuiper, and Microsoft Azure Space. Um, you can probably tell there's a little bit of a cloud angle that's going to be um, a, a big part of what those companies bring. They join um, a group of companies tapped uh, in July by DIU, um, Anduril, Alaria, Atlas, and Anvil. Um, they already started the work and more awards could come down the pipeline. What they've essentially built um, in the first phase was a hybrid gateway satellite that could demonstrate and prove some of their networking technologies. But in this second phase um, that's now underway, uh, the partners are going to expand the operational network um, to link terrestrial cloud and internet services with a, as they say, massively proliferated commercial communication satellite constellation over secure backbone of user authentication and data insurance using blockchain le ledgers to realize the variable trust architecture that truly enables a hybrid public-private internet and network in space. Um, something that I found out after the story came out, um, speaking to Alex Miller at DIU, um, who is assistant PM for this um, hybrid space architecture program, is the way they're sort of thinking about it, if the first project was ARPANET, two nodes between um, Caltech and Stanford talking to each other over a landline. This second project is connecting thousands of nodes between multiple locations around the world. Specifically in this case, Amazon Cloud Services, Microsoft Azure Cloud Services, and varying satellite communication nodes in space through various waveforms with varying levels of added cyber securities. He told me, um, what is it enabling that wasn't enabled before? Really using already commercial orbiting and future orbiting satellite payloads to share data mesh in to share in a data mesh like network through varying ground stations and clouds. So it sounds to me, Brandy, like this is horizontal and vertical. The vertical piece of this uh, is the Earth to space, in addition to the space to space connection that the satellite constellation is making. Am I hearing that right? Mm -hmm. And it's really, um, I think, focused on sort of providing those capabilities from a space-based infrastructure, um, 
you know, early on into the establishment of 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 what of where we're going in this next great warfare domain, which is space and cyberspace. All right. Um, I mentioned another story that you have posted up at defensescoop.com. Uh, the headline is Pentagon forms new AI hubs for R&D teams to share data and advance models. Um, R&D in the Pentagon getting a lot of attention in the last uh, several years. What exactly will this effort do? What's it connecting, Brandy? Thanks, Francis. You know, it's pretty interesting. At a few events around D.C. and a panel even that I was moderating um, for AFCA a few weeks ago, I kept hearing different high-level uh, DOD officials mentioning how they're supporting these AI hubs um, that have been established by um, Undersecretary for research and engineering, Heidi Shu in her office. Um, and so I reached out and I found out uh, this is a new initiative. They essentially um, figured out that a lot of the Defense Department and the military's R&D research and development labs and teams are conducting AI research and developing their own AI research portfolios with operations, models, data sets, development tools, um, with little to no reuse across the laboratories. And so the infrastructure um, and, and through this initiative, what they're trying to build is sort of one ecosystem where um, image processing data and signal processing data can be cleaned and shared and used between um, all of those different sort of stakeholders. And then Another hub, a modeling and reasoning hub, is going to be like really diving into bringing sort of that data to the next level with uh, modeling and reasoning and sort of establishing um, new understandings and capabilities there. Shocking. Offices across the Pentagon doing the same thing and not sharing information with each other. That's never happened before in the history of the Department of Defense since 1947. Brandy, great reporting as always. Thanks very much for joining me today. Thanks, Francis. You can read more about those stories and lots more at defensescoop.com. A council of former federal information technology leaders meets regularly to talk about how they can continue to help the federal IT community make progress. Essie Miller is one of them. She's former deputy chief information officer for cybersecurity at DOD. At the Executive Leadership Conference 2022 that ACT-IAC hosted recently, she appeared on the main stage with some of her fellow members of that council, including former federal CIO Suzette Kent, former Deputy Federal CIOs Margie Graves and Maria Rote, and former NASA CIO Renee Wynn. After that discussion on stage, I asked her how that council came about and how it grew. We all retired about the same time. Yep. Suzette left first, and we flowed behind that, and we decided... We just needed to stay connected. You know, we were all on the Federal CIO Council together. There was just chemistry. Some of it driven by the types of things that we were doing, but a lot of it just, you've got fascinating women who are good at what they do and all authentic in who we are. Mm -hmm. And that worked for us. Mm -hmm. So Renee will send us a meeting invite. We'll go back and forth on a date. And we all know when that date is settled, we show up with glass in hand and there's no agenda or itinerary. It's about whatever we put on the table. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't surprise me one single bit that Renee's the ringleader in all of this. <laughs> She's the orchestrator. Of course. That's exactly right. So. Um, how much of that conversation revolves around IT stuff and how much of it revolves around what else is going on in your worlds, though? There's a whole balance, though, Francis. 
we start with how each one of us are doing and what we're up to. And as we do that, there may be pieces that we pull in about what's happening in the community and IT because we're all still connected and we're all still serving in our, our different ways. That's the part of it that I think is the most fun to observe amongst the group of you is that the word serving is exactly the way that you all still think of it. Yeah, it, it is. It's a part of our nature mm -hmm. and it's a responsibility. I said last night, we all have a responsibility not just to grow the next generation, but to continue to make things better. And that's not lost on, on any of us. What's the most important thing that people who are still in the kinds of jobs that you held can do now to do that perpetuation that you just mentioned, Essie? One, first of all, understand the mission mm -hmm. and the, or the business function, whatever it is they do, understand the business. But two, to really know the people that they're working with. Because everybody's different. And it's, it's like having kids. You can't treat all the kids the same because they have different personalities. Mm -hmm. And we may have to coach and mentor in different ways. But understand how you draw the strengths and the talents out mm -hmm. so that they drive the impact that you're looking for. We've talked a lot about soft type skills in this conversation and in the conversations that you and I have had off the record over the last couple of weeks, uh, months. What are you thinking about tactically, the X's and O's of actually accomplishing stuff in the government, not necessarily just in DOD, but all across the government? What are the, the things that you're advising the people that you mentor and the people that you coach and, and that you serve um, that they need to be paying attention to right now? What, what's really huge on the radar screen in your view tactically? For, for the more senior people? It's making it clear to the staff what you need to do. Mm. What are those things you need to accomplish? Mm -hmm. you know, I talked to one of those seniors last night who said, hey, do you remember that very last meeting we had and the things that we were talking about? That stuff still isn't done. Francis, that was two and a half years ago. You know, but leadership has to make it clear on what needs to be done, what are the important things, so that the staff knows where to focus. Mm -hmm. For the younger people, it's yes, you need to be proficient technically, and you need to understand what that big picture is, but where do you fit and where do you contribute? Mm -hmm. And it's not always about what you want to do, because we all have to do things that may not be in our wheelhouse or not in our job description, which I hate. It's, it's doing what you need to do to yeah. make a difference. What's the biggest holdup to that happening? If that's not happening, if, that's not, if, if leaders are struggling to make sure the priorities are known, why is that? There's so much happening mm. across government. Yeah. And everybody wants everything out of the IT community. And, but we have to be really, really deliberate on where we bring value and how we deliver that value. And if we're looking across the broad spectrum thinking everything is a priority, then nothing is a priority. But I, I chatted a little bit yesterday about conversations. We have to be very deliberate and judicious in the conversations to understand what the requirements are and how we can meet that need. As I said last night, it's less about technology mm -hmm. and it's more about what the customer needs to get their mission done. Mm -hmm. Since you've been out and you're doing these, uh, doing this service and you're continuing to think about it that way, in the, in the scope of all of this, what's the most fun thing you've done so far? Oh, wow. 
other than my trip to Egypt. Well, that doesn't <laughs> count because that didn't have anything to do with your service. This is true. Um, one of the folks that I've mentored was promoted to SES. And when you can see the fruit of your labor manifested in that next generation leader, you know you've done what you're supposed to do. All right. Um, what, uh, what do you want to still accomplish in the sphere of service to the federal government, Essie? When the military leave DOD, they go through this transition process. And it, it covers everything from employment to board director type responsibilities. The civilian side doesn't get that. We get discussions on annuities and how to file your retirement paperwork. Sitting where I am now, I realize there's an opportunity to reach back to help those that are coming out behind us know what the realm of possibility is waiting for them. So they don't just have to unplug. So be it advisory boards or public and private boards, there's still an opportunity to serve and even bigger, helping industry understand how government works and where they can best plug in. Mm -hmm. And that, that's really what you get out of the microcosm of the five women you had last night. Those are the conversations that we have. Yeah. And the things that we can do and how we can help those behind us. There's a tremendous value add there because I recall a conversation, it's probably been five or six years ago now, with a person who retired from DOD, SESer, long, very distinguished career there. And this person went to work for one of the big consulting companies. And about, uh, I'd say two months or so into that person's tenure, we got together and I said, how's it going? And this person said, well, I'm not really sure. And I said, what do you mean by that? And this person said, well, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing. And I said to this person, how is that possible? Like, this person went into a pretty senior position in the firm that, that this person went to. And I said, how's that possible? Because you're reporting like pretty high up the chain. Well, I didn't, nobody really told me what they wanted me to do. And I said, that's wonderful. That means you can do whatever you want. And, and this person looked at me like, I never really thought of it that way. And that, to me, that spoke to that idea that you just described, that nobody had really given this person the opportunity, including this, this person, uh, him or herself, the opportunity to think, what really is within the realm of possibility here? And the answer to that is everything. Right. Right? Right. You know, getting a sense of the landscape. Mm -hmm. Again, understand them, the business, but then where can you make a difference? I find while everybody knows what a senior executive is, they don't really understand what a senior executive is and what we bring to the table. Most very strategic, even those of us who are technical. And we, we have to find where we can make that difference and not be afraid. For somebody who doesn't like public speaking, you do it awfully well, my friend. It, it's, it's that introvert thing. I'm fine just being me. Former Deputy DOD CIO Essie Miller at ELC 2022. You can read more about what's going on in the IT community at defensescooppodcast.com. The new leader of the Information Management and Technology Directorate in the Office of the Secretary of Defense says one of her goals is building enterprise IT in her office. 
Danielle Metz is the director of that office. On the main stage at ELC, I asked her about her office's mission. What's the difference between what you're doing, what you're going to lead, the directorate that uh, Deputy Secretary Hicks has stood up, Mike Donnelly will execute, and you will lead, and the work that happens in John Sherman's office. And, and it, why, does this, why should this live where you are and not live with him? Yeah, so I think in order to be able to answer that question, we just need to take a step back and see how we got here. And uh, in April of this year, uh, the Deputy Secretary of Defense um, asked Mike Donnelly, I think we need to have a study on the OSD IT landscape. And so Mike Donnelly asked me to lead that. And so it was myself and four incredible teammates uh, that went on this journey to really uh, scope out how and why IT is so bad in the Pentagon and why our principal staff assistants that work on behalf of the secretary and the deputy secretary can't execute their mission with technology. So the way that we went about doing this was that we wanted to be able to get engagement with each of the PSAs. Uh, so we did listening sessions. And the first question I asked was, um, how are you using technology to execute their mission? Their response was, we're not. That was a gut punch. Somebody who has been working in this field for about 15 years of delivered enterprise services, technology wasn't being used to execute mission in the heart of the Pentagon. Uh, so we continued to listen, to hear, um, and then we started to do engagements with the service providers to understand their perspectives. We met with, uh, I met with uh, former DOD uh, senior officials that I lovingly called historical figures. Uh, to get there. Like Winogren? Yes. <laughs> uh, just, Is it historic? I got to call him a historical figure yes, now? Yes. Can you please rebrand oh, that? Oh, jeez. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> but the question that I got to ask them was, what would you do differently? And so it was just really refreshing to hear their honest answers in terms of what they would have done differently now that they have the gift of hindsight. And so we were able to fuse all of this information together and, of course, review hundreds upon hundreds of documents. And through all of this, we were able to come up with some uh, key findings and associated recommendations. And really, uh, the first finding that we found was because leadership treated IT as a cost efficiency and not as something that was a critical enabler to execute mission, it was very easy to reduce the IT budgets and take it to other, what were presumed to be uh, more uh, priority mission. So IT budgets were scrapped or reduced and then remained stagnant. Uh, the other thing was is that we had a service provider, a joint service provider, that was supposed to be everything, but we didn't resource it appropriately. So they were supposed to do policy, they were supposed to do the actual service provider type things, but they weren't resourced to be able to do that. And so the CIO function for OSD kind of fell by the wayside. And then the last thing was that there wasn't a place for the 17 different PSAs to come together to be able to have a voice, a united voice. So that meant you had 17 individual voices that were trying to figure out what their resources were, what their strategies ought to be, and it was very ineffectual. So based on all of this, we saw that a recommendation was we really do need to have a professional CIO office that's responsible for the strategic vision for OSD. To really be able to synthesize all of these different requirements, understand each of their missions, find the commonality, 
uh, and then be able to advocate for the appropriate resources, do the performance management for the execution, and breathe life into that uh, strategic vision. Uh, and so that's the reason why we're doing this office. Uh, the difference between uh, what John Sherman and the DOD CIO, and I came from the DOD CIO, I was the Deputy CIO for Information Enterprise, um, is that we are very, the DOD CIO is very outward forward looking, and they are providing enterprise guidance, policy direction on IT at the department-wide level. Each of the MILDEP CIOs and our defense agency field activities have CIOs that in turn take that uh, policy guidance and direction and instill it for their enterprise. The OSD doesn't have that. So it was a huge gap that was happening. And I, the one thing I'll mention is, you know, the government has been moving to uh, cloud for quite some time. Within OSD, it's been very stagnant. And it's because they just didn't have a forum to be able to understand where, what was happening, uh, and how to go about doing it. So you have a level of frustration for each of these PSAs that are individually trying to figure out what to do, and there's not a consortium to bring them together. And so that's, that's what this office is endeavoring to do. So is it fair for me to infer that what Raj Iyer is to the Army, and what Aaron is to the Navy, and what Lauren is to the Air Force, you're going to be your office is going to be to those 17 PSAs in OSD joint staff and so on. Absolutely, and I think that you know, one of the visions for the Deputy Secretary of Defense is to treat OSD as a unified component, to put them on the same plane as those MILDEP CIOs. Um, and it's gonna be incredibly difficult because you have 17 independent individual PSAs um, that have very specific mission type things that are very special, unique, um, and important. And they think it's the most important. Mm -hmm. So you have 17 most important things. How do you go about doing that? Yeah. Um, but I think in our experiences that um, my team and I have done with uh, IT reform, with the defense agencies, field activities, is building that governance structure. Uh, I think earlier someone said a safe space. So you need to have a place where people can voice their concerns know that they're going to be actively heard, and that they can see themselves in whatever the documentation, the strategic vision that's being built, so that they can take ownership, and then they can do. And so that's one of the, the first things that we're uh, embarking on since becoming IOC October 1st. So when you did that study and you got that gut punch, and when you got the answer, we're not using technology, what was the why behind that? Was, did it just not work? Was it a fix our computers kind of thing? Or was there something more to it than that? I think it's much, there's much more to that. So it's not just the technology that is holding us back in terms of being able to maximize everything that we could do with technology. It's really our people and processes. So our processes aren't keeping up to parity with what the technology is doing. And an example I'll give is when we rolled out DOD 365, we were so minotically focused on getting the capability out that we didn't take the time to figure out the policies that are in place from a security perspective in terms of your government furnished equipment, your laptops and desktops, those cameras are disabled, right? You don't have uh, headphones. And so you're lost the whole point of why you're doing Microsoft Teams, which is to have that collaborative, you can see, feel, experience. And that was a tragedy. And I think the other thing in terms of the people part is we didn't do a very good job 
in terms of having relatable training so that people could really understand what was at their fingertips and how they can use it. And so I think we were really successful when we did commercial and virtual remote, um, the CVRs, which was a precursor to DOD 365 during the pandemic, where we identified champions within each of the organizations that would represent um, their organization. And they were enthusiastic about technology. They really wanted to be able to learn. And then we taught them and they taught their organization. Mm -hmm. And it was just an incredible thing to witness and it, we're going to, uh, and it worked. So why not do that again? And so that's what we're going to do with um, DOD 365 and really any other enterprise capability that we have. And on the flip side, I'll say, the other key for uh, enterprise adoption is leadership's engagement and being active on the platforms to which the rest of the workforce is on mm -hmm. and using to experience. And if your leaders are using team uh, to do chat as opposed to an email, the workforce will be using chat. And we'll be able to be much more responsive instead of email. Mm -hmm. We could do collaboration in terms of editing, documents. We can do a quick Teams call. It's really embracing that. So it becomes a, a from a people perspective, ensuring that leadership understands the importance of technology too. So a mistake that I made when I read some of the reports about this that you cleared up for me actually last week at CyberTalks was my impression was that this office was going to be fairly tactical. And what you said there and what you've said today make me think I had it wrong and it's going to be a mix of tactical and strategic. Is that Absolutely. fair? Yes, and I think that's one of the, the great skills that my team and I have is that we have a strategic vision, but we want to see it implemented. Mm -hmm. And we were very successful in our partnerships with DOD 365. I'm looking at Laura right here. So when we did DOs, um, phone calls every day, Teams chats, what have you. And we were able to do something remarkable in a time frame um, and in a setting which um, defied logic. And so it's just one of those things where, you know, we. we why not replicate that? And so having the strategic vision and the persistence and dedication to see it through and to breathe life so that it can be executed and then repeat. I love that. Have you had a chance to build a roadmap yet or are you still kind of in the formative phases of that? We're in the formative phases, but because of how um, the department works in terms of out-year resourcing, uh, we did know that there was, and based on the listening sessions that we had with um, the PSAs, our service desk is terrible, to say it frankly. At least you're honest about it. Uh, well, that's one of my traits. Uh, so uh, we realized that, you know, DISA is leading this big effort with global service desk, and they're modernizing um, how you go about doing uh, the service desk using commercial best practices. And there's quite a few of the defense agency field activities that have already transitioned to global service desk. And they're seeing, they're seeing value. They're, and more importantly, their users are seeing value. And so we um, advocated for resources to be able to transform the service desk in the Pentagon to be a part of the global service desk. So that's one of the big things that we're doing. The other big thing that we're doing is trying to mature the office. So right now we're five strong and it's an incredible team. Five? Five strong. Five people? Me plus four wonderful people. 
and we do have some contract support, but obviously what I've listed out and what's in my head of what we want to do is fairly ambitious um, because we want to be able to modernize uh, the OSD and create an OSD IT enterprise, sustain and nurture it, um, and ensure that we have digital transformation. It's not just modernization of the technology, but transforming how we do our policies in order to get the technology and use it. And then for the users, the people aspect of that, so that when they receive the technology, this is like, yes, this is what I need. It's seamless. So when the question's asked, how do you use technology to execute your mission? The response is going to be seamlessly. Mm -hmm. What does a mature IT enterprise look like for OSD, and how will you judge how you're doing getting to that? So I think the first step is, it's all about sequencing. So the first step is getting our hands around common IT and agreeing to what common IT is and being able to standardize the memorandum of agreement so that everyone understands what those service level agreements are, expectations, roles, and responsibilities. We don't have that today. Once we're able to get our hands around that and get that in a, a steady state, the next piece is the mission IT. And so that can run the gamut of business systems to weapon systems. And we want to be, I would like our office to be the technical advisor to all the PSAs on how they're going to modernize their, their mission IT, whether that's helping them figure out the best course to do uh, cloud migration, to really fully embrace DevSecOps and software modernization. Um, those are the types of things that right now is lacking, they're struggling. Uh, simply just because they just don't have the technical acumen. Well, the team and the team that I would like to grow, we will have that. And we want to be able to partner and work um, collaboratively with each of these PSAs to be able to do that. So then now we're modernizing a lot of our exquisite uh, mission IT that quite frankly is right now in mainframes. That's terrible. Yeah, that's pretty terrible. Terrible. Um, I have to ask you the same thing that I asked Guy. Can you help me see if there's anybody that wants to ask you questions? Yes, I have excellent eyesight. All right, because I don't. Uh, so raise your hand and the microphone. Well, Keisha's here with the microphone. Oh, and I see. And there's another microphone here. Maybe my eyesight's not as terrible no, as I thought. I think you're really good. So I can see two people with the microphones holding their hands, but no one wants to ask a question. I can't believe that. I think yes. everybody's too hungover. I think so, too. <laughs> I think that's what it is. Yeah. Seriously? Well, now we just really put them on the spot. That's right. We've scared everyone. <laughs> we frightened them all. Um, were there any? Were there common threads among those seventeen PSAs when they when you went and talked to each of them and they said, "Here are our pressure points. Here, are, here's what we don't like." What were there common threads among them? Yes, I think part of the the biggest common thread that we saw was going back to the service desk and. In the Pentagon, we have uh, VIP support, and then we have what I'll call general population. And so leadership is on VIP support, and it is phenomenal. I, I receive it. It's, it's quite lovely. But it... Um, you don't need it, though. You yeah. can just figure it out, right? I like to still You learn. have to call the... Oh, okay. Yes. Fair point. Oh, and our computers are so locked down that I can't do anything anyway. It's, wow. Yeah. Okay. So. Please continue. Uh, now I lost my train of thought, Francis. Well, you were talking about what these 17 common thoughts were and the fact that there's VIP support and then yes. there's general population support. Yes, yes. And so for leadership that is on VIP support, when they don't have a problem with their technology or they don't have a problem with what's going on because everything is taken care of for them. 
in the elite of our leadership, they have military assistance and exec executive assistance, so they're not really using the technology. Their support staff front office is. So they are um, kind of like on this mountain, right? Then you have everyone else that's struggling. So when you got the post about fix my computer, they're probably like, what do you mean fix my computer? Because they didn't see it. They didn't see it. And I think in order to be able to democratize that, and that's really what technology does, everyone just needs to be on the same platform. And that's where I'm a big believer in enterprise services and um, engaging at different levels of the echelons of leadership and within the workforce in terms of changing the conversation about technology and that it's not a back office function or it's not, you know, fix my computer, it's how technology is the undercurrent to everything we do. We have an expectation for it in our personal lives in terms of I can't do anything without my iPhone. Um, to include talk to my uh, son's teacher, we all are on WhatsApp and are able to communicate that way. I don't have to call, it's just seamless. But we seem to lack that same type of um, need uh, in our professional life. And I think with the younger generation and the next generation, that's changing. And so if we're going to try to recruit you know, the workforce of 2030, we need to ensure that we have a digital modernization uh, experience um, so that it's attractive enough so that you can use what they do in their personal lives and apply it to the professional setting. It's already incredibly competitive with government. Um, and trying to get the best and the brightest. So we need to be able to kind of shore up that competitive edge. And I think ensuring that we have technology readily available, everyone's using it, is going to be a key attraction to bring that next generation to the, to the table. Final thought, what advantage do you think you bring coming from OCIO to this position, Danielle? So I have been a big believer in the enterprise since I started um, government service back at DISA. And so I firmly believe in, in an enterprise, enterprise services, working together, being collaborative, um, that there's more common than there is unique. And if you could focus on the commonality and get that uh, sorted and working, then you can focus on the differences. Um, and I think that you know a lot of times overall in my career, um, the Department of Defense has flirted with enterprise, pulled back to federation, flirted with enterprise, gone back to federation. And I really want to be able to showcase that if we create an OSD IT enterprise, that this theory that I have of enterprise and the importance of it and that it will work, will work, and it will be a template uh, moving forward. So that's, that's what gets me up in the morning. Danielle Metz, the Director of the Information Management and Technology Directorate in OSD. You can find a link to watch the video of that entire conversation at DefenseScoopPodcast.com. The Defense Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every week on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Defense Scoop Podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Defense Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher help me put the show together every week, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Defense Scoop Podcast returns next Wednesday. I'm Francis Rose. I'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening.